like on a recent episode, the location where Holly and Spencer were recording had a lightning strike. And so they were offline for like five minutes or something like that. Where on a more professional show, you would say, okay, stop. Let's figure out what we're doing. Let's re-roll. We're sort of like, well, let's just keep going. Hey y'all, I'm Tommy Tomlinson. And from WFAE in Charlotte, this is Southbound. Conversations with people from all walks of life about how the South shapes who they are and what they do. The Shutdown Fullcast builds itself as the internet's only college football podcast. That's a lie on several different levels. The main one being that it's often not about college football at all. Sometimes it's about pro wrestling. Sometimes it's about the religious preferences of dogs. Sometimes it's about the question of whether a bull has ever actually been inside a china shop. The episodes have titles like Mountain Dew, The Rapture, and You. My guest today, Ryan Annie, is one of the four hosts of the full cast. He and his fellow hosts, Holly Anderson, Spencer Hall, and Jason Kirk, have built a devoted following, large enough to have a Coors Light sponsorship and a spot in the Metal Arc Media suite of sports podcasts. And along the way, Nanny somehow went from being a New York City lawyer to a sports podcaster based in Nashville. He's also college football editor for the website The Messenger, and he hosts a podcast and a story series for the sports clothing brand Homefield. Ryan and I talk about how the full cast started, the seismic changes in college football this offseason, and who knows what else. We never quite stay on topic, which I guess fits the grand full cast tradition. Here's our conversation. So, Ryan, Danny, I have a, a sort of a shutdown full cast-ish topic I want to throw out or, oh, or a no. question to start with. So, um, I have an iPhone, and as mm-hmm. most people do, I have the little wireless, you know, uh, phones that go with them that Apple markets as AirPods. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as you and most people know, the generic term for those is earbuds. Mm-hmm. Um, the other day when I was talking to somebody and and mentioned this in passing, I realized that possibly for the entire time these things have been in existence, I have referred to them as AirBuds. <laughs> that was the plan all along, I think. I think well, exactly. So the, I, have, I have a couple of questions for you. Yeah. First of all, isn't that what should they, they should have been called all along? And then secondly... Am, am I under any, you know, trade? Do I do I, do I basically owe a basketball playing dog any compensation here? I think somebody determined that the dog in the original movie is no longer with us, but you might owe Airbuds Estate some money for sure. Oh, oh, some some puppy. First question. Yeah. yeah. As to the first question, I don't think anybody wants to go up against the Disney litigation issue, <laughs> and and so I think that's why they are called. AirPods and earbuds, hoping that just through the magic of the supercomputer that is the human brain, you'll put that connection together, but in a way that is not legally actionable against the Apple company. By the way, I went back and looked. I, I have to admit, I never saw the original AirBud movie. That's like Bambi levels of 
depression. I mean, there's like mm-hmm. there's like a missing father. There's an abusive coach. There's you know people want to like hurt the dog. There's all yeah. kinds of like there's some mess in that movie. And that's before you even get to the idea that this movie, from a different perspective, is about other children who have to live with the fact that they lost a basketball game to a dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There should be a movie about like, you know, 30 years later, some guy sitting on a beach and, and you know, he just sees that dog in his dreams all day. Right. Yes. So. He's like, we're never getting a kids. We're never getting a golden retriever. Don't even ask. <laughs> so I have two sort of logistical questions about the full cast I want to ask to begin with, because these things have intrigued me from the start. The first is the theme, which as people who um, listen to the full cast every week, know it's the same theme, but it's played on different things. Everything, it's like, there's like a ska version. There's like an orchestral score, like a movie. There's a bagpipe version, I believe, and all Mm -hmm. that. Who does that? So who makes those themes? Who makes, yeah. Listeners do. Listeners will will send in their interpretations of the theme. The theme itself goes back to when the full cast was shut down full back and was a video project that Spencer and Jason were doing. And I think the music just came out of insert name of music library here. So it was like a piece of licensed content. And now we have sort of the we with our listeners have taken our own interpretation of this otherwise like piece of filler music that you might have heard uh in the 80s as a news transition or something like that and so you get like you just open up your email one day and there's like a reggae version of the 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 full cast theme correct correct somebody's just like i made a zydeco full cast theme we're like great we're gonna figure out which episode to pair that that is fantastic the second thing I have to ask about is the the ad read. Coors Light is a sponsor of the full cast. Correct. Um, has anybody at Coors Light ever listened to what you guys <laughs> do to their ad reads? Spencer, you ever seen Blade Runner? Oh, yeah. Uh, you remember what Harrison Ford's job is in Blade Runner? Yes, he's supposed to retire replicants, meaning hunt them down and retire them. Spencer, are you a replicant? See, I'm about to go ahead and let you in on a little secret here, Ryan. The trick to being a replicant is sometimes you don't know you're a replicant. Wow. Wow. Well, for all the non-replicants listening, which could be nobody, holy Mm -hmm. shit. Might be everybody. You don't have to retire in the Blade Runner way. You can retire in the human way. You know what that means? think you're going to need to chill. You're going to need the perfect cold refreshment to chill like you're retired the human way, again, not with Harrison Ford letting you die on a rooftop in the rain. He wouldn't do that to you. He loves you, and he wants you to have a cold Coors Light. Imagine if you had gotten to Rutger Hauer at that point in the movie, and he's about to embark on his epic monologue, the time to die monologue. Tears in the instead, rain. Instead, instead, a dove brings him a beer, <laughs> and he cracks a cold Coors Light, and he goes, Decker, time to chill. <laughs> That's the real director's cut. That's the director's cut. Just to to let listeners know here, well, just sort of maybe you explain kind of how y'all interpret these uh, 
uh, erstwhile commercials. Let's sort of let's sort of talk about. Let's go all the way back to first steps. The way podcast ads work is you are sent, you the, the host are sent a script, and it has your talking points, and it has your call to action, and has your promo code. And some of these things are important. If you have a promo code, you have to say that. Sometimes there's specific language you have to say as well. Most hosts just read the copy that they are given. We decided long ago that this was not very interesting to us. We would get bored doing that. And we want the ad to feel like something the listeners should want to listen to because it's just as weird and stupid as the rest of the show. So that's how we end up with things like what you're alluding to where we imply that Cthulhu is alive and is only sated by uh, the cold brewed refreshing taste of Coors Light. That's not something Coors Light gave us in ad copy and said, please, no. <laughs> please, please go Lovecraftian this week for us. Your question about whether anyone listens to it on the sponsor side, if they do, they are either fine with it or they are too confused to say anything. Because I think, uh, I think the only feedback we've ever gotten independent from like a third party is that the ad read was too long. Because <laughs> we'll just go off on tangents and be like, somehow we're in minute eight of this Coors Light ad read. And they're like, we don't want that. It's interesting. I, I envision some like, you know, junior executive at Coors Light whose job it is to just check in, see how the ad reads are going. And they listen to this and they just go, you know what? I'm not going to tell anybody about this. It, it would just, it would just mean more paperwork for me. Yeah. I mean, think about it this way. You are the person probably relatively low on the org chart at the sponsor who has to listen to the ads and you hear our nonsense. You have to go tell somebody else what it is we've done, which means you have to explain it and you have to, with a straight face, describe the nonsense that you have just been subjected to. And I think most people are just like, I don't need that stress in my work day. Yeah, somebody else will deal with this down the road if need be somewhere. Yes. In the meantime, as long as nobody's boycotting Coors Light because of you, <laughs> you're <Right>. fine. <laughs> so you mentioned once or twice in there kind of the – the origins of the, the forecast and stuff. And I remember years ago seeing Spencer and Jason on YouTube, like on a couch or something. Yes. Can you, yes. In a basement. Yeah, yeah. What, what is sort of the origin story about how you guys all came together? Gosh, there are like eight different versions of this. I'll try to go with the one that feels the most coherent and brief. Jason and Spencer were, were both working at SB nation at that point when the first, the company and sort of the internet's first push into video was a thing. This is while I was like, I was still a respectable lawyer at this point. I wasn't working with them. I had like met Spencer and Holly a couple of times, but didn't have a working relationship with them. Holly was either at Sports Illustrated or Grantland or maybe somewhere else that I'm forgetting. They started doing this video show which was very weird and kind of very adult swim, but was a big production lift because it had like animated elements and it was, you know, sh shot and edited and they would go on location places and they would have props. And it was, it was not a light lift by any means. And for whatever reason, uh, they decided, okay, we're not going to keep making this video series anymore. And I think Spencer and Jason just decided, well, we're having fun 
getting together and doing something tangentially related to college sports. So let's turn this into a podcast. I was not along for the ride initially, but I showed up pretty early and Holly sort of like, depending on where she was working at the time, would sometimes come in as an occasional guest, would sometimes come in for like long stretches and then became a more regular part of the show. And she's been on for a long time as well. But like, none of this really answers your question of why does this exist? And the answer is, I do not know. I have no, I have no memory of like a decision we made to say, this is the show we will do and this is what it will be like. It almost exists independently of the will of any of us. I've worked in sports departments and I, I didn't, I wasn't clear if all y'all had actually worked together at any point before this. And I know there's like two types of people in sports departments and maybe among sports fans. There's a type that like sports is the only thing they can talk about or care to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the other group that kind of sees sports as sort of part of this larger matrix of things. And obviously that is what the full cast is about. And, and is that something that you guys just kind of found in each other that was that you thought might work? Or, or did you even think of that far ahead about it? I think it's naturally just how we're programmed. Some of it is that none of us sort of have run through the traditional sports journalist background. I, I definitely didn't go to school for it. I was an attorney. Spencer went to grad school at Georgia Tech for something completely unrelated and did, you know, worked with a refugee resettlement group that is still doing charitable work with the Folkast today. Holly uh, was in theater school at the University of Tennessee with my wife. That's how the, they knew each other long before I came to know Spencer or Holly. Jason has his own like interesting back. Like, so, so I don't think, I think it's more that like we, it's an island of misfit toys is the best way to put it. And so what you hear most of the time on the full cast, kind of by design and kind of by accident is just the way that we are. So from the, at the very beginning, was it, was the talk, more, more about actual college football stuff or was it always like it's a college football podcast but not really i it has definitely veered much more in the second direction over the last few years and some of that is just you know obviously it's been a very strange few years not just to be in sports media but to like exist in the world and some of it's probably a coping mechanism with that i get very worried that I'll just sort of fall into the pattern of talking about sports the same way over and over and over again. And so I sort of crave ways that I can break that pattern and sort of shake my brain into something surprising and something new. Cause I don't really want to do the thing where it's like, all right, let's go through the Alabama depth chart. We do this every year. And, and it's also just not what I'm personally good at. I'm not a film guy. I'm not a recruiting guy. I'm not an advanced analytics guy. I'm basically telling you that I serve no meaningful football purpose whatsoever, which I hope none of my present employers figure out. <laughs> but like, I think what is interesting about the sport is that it's weird, is that it is um, structurally bizarre, is that it is a subculture. And that just sort of lends itself to sort of branching out in different directions, I think, more easily than if you decided, okay, we're really here to talk about the X's and O's or the uh, financials or any of the, like, the blood and guts of football. Did you have a point where y'all started kind of looking at the numbers and went, 
we're actually kind of successful here. <laughs> um, yes, I think probably that point was when, when the show left SB Nation. I think we knew that people liked it and we had done live shows before. The live show might have been the first, the live show in Atlanta might have been the first time we were like, oh, okay, this is the thing that people are excited about in a real tangible way. Um, when we said the show was winding down at SB Nation, at the time we kind of knew we wanted to keep doing it, but didn't have a good sense of where or what that would look like. People were really bumped. That was sort of, at least for me, a really good indicator of like, oh, this is a popular, if very weird and very like niche kind of thing. Um, the weird thing about doing a podcast is the number, at least to me, the numbers like, I have no idea what they mean half the time. I'm sort of like, all right, this many people downloaded it. I don't know if they liked it. I don't know if they listened to more than three minutes of it. I have always found it much more interesting when we get to interact with people in various ways and sort of get a real human sense of like, oh, this is this is a show that like amuses people or means something to people or is strangely comforting in very weird times. So as any longtime listener of the forecast knows, the uh, a show that has no technical difficulties is um, <laughs> is is an anomaly. <laughs> there are always people like dropping out or you know mm -hmm. uh, weird buzzing noises or whatever. Um, yep. Weirdly to me, that feels like it's almost become a feature. It's like it's so <laughs> lo-fi. It feels like pirate radio or something. You know, do right like yeah, garage rock yeah. or something. Do you, I mean, do you guys ever? Look, you know, say, okay, we got to clean this up. Or at this point, have you just decided to like kind of roll with it? So I should point out that the show now is much, is much better. And, and that's in large part because for many, many years of the show, I was the audio producer. I was the one <laughs> feebly, listen, I have an English degree. I don't know how any of this shit works. And the idea that I was ever responsible for it is truly comical. I think there is, I, I think you're right that there is a sense of like, we we know we have a little more latitude when things go weird. And like on a recent episode, the location where Holly and Spencer were recording had a lightning strike. And so they were offline for like five minutes or something like that. Right. Where on a more professional show, you would say, okay, stop. Let's figure out what we're doing. Let's re-roll we're sort of like, well, let's just keep going and figure and just do the audio in real time because it can't be that much stupider than what it's like when everybody is online and is able to be heard. <laughs> I think the only thing that I probably think about from a technical perspective is like, can you actually listen to this? Like when I was doing it, people would be like, why are you so loud? And Holly's so quiet. And I'm constantly I'm like, I look like a disc jockey in my car, just adjusting the volume dial. And I don't want people to have a like physically unpleasant experience. Emotionally and spiritually is different, but physically I'm not trying to cause. Have you guys ever tried to figure out like why it works? To answer the question directly, no. Like part of, part of this is that we don't really examine the thing. We are, it, we are just sort of beholding the obelisk in wonder and not really prodding it, trying to figure out what it means, any of that. 
As far as why it works, I think the simplest answer is that um, it's not that different from music. We are all different, but we all work together very well. And I think in the same way that you wouldn't necessarily say, well, you know, I want to go hear four trumpets play the exact play. They're playing the exact same notes over each other. I think there is something to the fact that we all have a general baseline sensibility that lines up, but our brains are weird in different ways. The things that we are passionate about uh, are distinct and different from one another. I I didn't grow up a wrestling fan. The full cast talks about wrestling a ton, but it's fine. Holly and I force the other two to listen about musical theater frequently. And I think the idea that you couldn't just... There's not, there's no point where it's like, okay, well, I'll be Jason this episode or you, you be Holly this episode. Like it wouldn't work that way. And I think the fact that we can bring four different perspectives and um, sensibilities that can work together and cause like interesting and fun friction and not just like, oh, they don't like each other friction. Um I think that's probably what people like about it. When we come back, Ryan Nanny talks about the glory of college football upsets, even when your team is the one who gets beat. I'm a Florida fan, and people love to tell me about Georgia Southern beating Florida in the swamp. My two nieces were going to Southern at the time this happened, and they the day, that Monday in the cafeteria, they served fried gator. <laughs> I can't even be mad at that. That and more, head on Southbound. Before we get back to this episode, I wanted to ask for a little help with something. If you enjoy Southbound, please give us a good rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast provider you have that allows such things. The more reviews and better ratings we get, the better chance there is that other listeners can find us. But to be honest, I'd just as soon you tell people about Southbound through good old word of mouth. If you could recommend it to just one person you know, somebody you might think would enjoy interesting conversations about the South, I'd be deeply grateful. If you have any thoughts about the show, guests to recommend, or anything that you think might make Southbound better, you can email me at ttomlinson at wfae.org. Thanks so much for giving us a little bit of your time. And now, back to my conversation with Ryan Nanny. I want to pivot just a little bit to the college football world in general, because this was coming out around the time the season starts. People will be hopefully kind of jacked up for the games and all. But this has been, for people who maybe have not paid much attention to the last few months, can you even begin to explain what has happened in college football? Just let, Let's just say this summer. Um, let's the most relevant piece of information or the most earth shattering is uh 
the Pac-12 turned into a carcass that several different conferences started picking apart to the point where George W. Bush is making phone calls on behalf of SMU, even though they're not a Pac-12 team, to the ACC. Um, <laughs> well, that's sure. the kind of weird. Yeah, that's the we're we're in a place where Stanford and SMU are working together to try to get into the ACC. And if he just took that sentence and tried to make somebody like write out the fact pattern of how we got here a year ago, it would be fairly difficult. To explain just a little further for folks, all these conferences are splitting up, moving around. Conferences that used to be regionally connected are now have basically no connection except through TV contracts and that sort of thing. Are we kind of, are we watching the golden goose kind of get killed in real time here? I think that's certainly a possibility. And I think what's, what's hard to know is what, the end game is for the television networks and for the conferences. You know, there is a possibility that we end up with football only versions of these conferences. That's a thing that happens in lower divisions. It's not unusual to see places that are like, okay, we're in this conference for every sport except football where we're in the big South or we're in whatever. And I wouldn't, I, I think that's entirely on the table for schools to just say like, yep, we're going to treat football as its own entity. And, but Big Ten, you know, uh, Big Ten wrestling is going to look like, or Big Ten baseball is going to look like this. And uh, Big 12 um, women's basketball is going to look like that in ways that sort of make more sense. The other possibility is that we get this huge cleaving of FBS where we have one or two super conferences, which at this point would be the Big Ten and the SEC. I think that is still possible, but the thing I can't figure out is that the operating uh, network entities that are involved with all of this, none of them seem super stable at this point. Like nothing about the Disney ESPN conglomerate is like, oh yeah, they're happy to just throw money around willy-nilly. The fact that you know, Oregon and Washington had to be, had had to accept sort of like partial revenue shares from the Big Ten to go make that move. It feels like a lot of moves are being made more out of fear of what the alternative might be, rather than this is a vision and a direction we have for what's going to happen. And in my opinion, when you make moves based on that, they don't hold as well as if you sort of say like, this is the thing we are trying to get towards. I don't know that anybody at this in the sport has identified what the thing we're trying to get towards is. I was trying to think about this in, com in comparison to the NFL and other pro sports too, because college football is, has such a big, massive following TV ratings that it is yeah. sort of by all intents and purposes a professional sport. Um, and But there are only so many teams that's would sort of qualify as a mini NFL. There might be a dozen or so. And the problem is that the pro sports in general are about the stars. Like you turn on Sunday afternoon at Fox to see Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, whoever. Whereas college football, at least traditionally and mostly, has been about rivals. Mm -hmm. you, know, you hate, if you're Alabama, you hate Auburn and vice versa and all that. And a lot of those things are kind of going away with this realignment or at least adjusting 
in a semi-permanent way. And I wonder if, like, to get, to, to basically pacify those 12 teams that anybody will watch any time, like the other 90-something Division One teams are basically in this kind of, like, limbo now that they can't get out of. I think that's right. And I think the other distinct difference to me between the NFL as a uh, consumer product and college football is college football very much depends upon David versus Goliath. This is the only major sport left. College basketball is the other where you can have teams of vastly different resources, talent levels, experience, history, um, and where the lesser can upset the greater. Like if a 0-8 team beats an 8-0 team in the NFL, it's a big deal, but nobody cares past that. Like it doesn't really, it doesn't, and it doesn't really register in any big way. People still talk about a very good App State team going on the road and beating Michigan for the first game on the Big Ten Network. Like, these are things that still... I'm a Florida fan, and people love to tell me about Georgia Southern beating Florida in the swamp. My two nieces were going to Southern at the time this happened, and they the day, that Monday in the cafeteria, they served fried gator. <laughs> I can't even be mad at that, but, like, that's... There are, and and it doesn't even have to sort of be the non-conference, like Stanford upsetting Pete Carroll USC as like 40 point underdogs. The sport like needs these moments of the established order is turned on its head. And the more it pulls away from the opportunity for those things to happen, and the more it says like, no, we're sort of like protecting the conferences and they're big, but... uh impermeable shells and the more we sort of say drift towards you know resources will get even more funneled towards the haves rather than the have-nots i think we will lose that and if we're losing upsets and we're losing some rivalries it does sort of start to lose its luster it definitely starts to lose what makes it special as you said you went to florida Mm. and were you were you there when they were winning championships was that no no okay. i but, I, mean, but you... I i was there for steve spurrier's last year and then i was there for all three ron zook years oh boy that was sweet and then i left and then they got good <laughs> and then they got good but you have been a fan when they have been clearly the the top team in the sport yes i was at the 08 national championship i i had a very good friend in law school who was an ohio state fan in 06 and i just never let him forget about how confident he was that the buckeyes <laughs> would destroy florida yes yes i have you, i have had my cake for sure you're, tell, you're telling me an ohio state fan was confident I'm, I'm, <laughs> I um so the, the reason i ask is as you probably know I went to Georgia. Mm-hmm. I'm a Georgia guy, diehard fan. Um, and so now I'm in this weird spot yeah. where we are clearly the best team. And, you know, who knows, may or may have a shot at actually winning three in a row, which would be the first time it happened in like 80 years or whatever. Right. So how should I feel about this? And if if you were replaying your fanhood at when Florida was at its peak, what would you do differently, if anything? So I'm supposed to tell you that you should remain humble, that you should remember (laughs) that nothing lasts forever. 
you should keep in mind that, you know, Florida is an example of this, but there, Florida State's an example of this. Miami's an example of this. Tennessee's has been an example of this, maybe has stopped being an example. Dynasties fall, dynasties crumble. But I'm going to be honest with you. You should just enjoy this and be mean to your enemies <laughs> the whole time. You will get no points if and when the George dynasty comes to an end. Nobody will come to you and be like, well, Tommy, you were so gracious that like, <laughs> here's here's $10,000 we've decided to award you. There are no prizes for being nice and nobody will be nicer. T- I'll tell you right now, if Georgia has a fall on its fa- face season in the next couple of years, I'm not going to be nicer to you about it because Georgia was really good before. Well, that's good because I have a, I've built up some credit not being nice to Florida for many years. Exactly. Yes. There is, there is, you should absolutely just enjoy this ride as, with as much bravado and cockiness as you can muster. So as you said kind of earlier in the podcast, at the time all this stuff started happening, you were a lawyer. Yes. And I'm wondering, did you as a lawyer, look around and and go, you know, I'm looking for a pursuit that's slightly less ethically challenging (laughs) than the legal profession. Maybe college football. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is is there something in particular that sort of pulled you away or pushed you away, as it were? It's, It's mostly on accident. Like, I... I stumbled onto a chance to write for Spencer at Every Day Should Be Saturday under a pseudonym as just like a fun thing to do on the side. And that sort of like grew a little bit over time. And then I got to a point in my legal career where I was working for the city of New York. We had a new mayor come in when um, Mike Bloomberg couldn't run for office anymore. And I just saw the agency I was working for just like everybody fled. Everybody's like, okay, it's time to go do a different job now, a different agency, go back to private practice, whatever. Simultaneously, I sort of had this open offer to come work at SB Nation full time. And I was young enough and I didn't have children. So I was like, sure, why not? Let's go do this different thing. And it has just sort of snowballed from there. But it feels very weird whenever like somebody looking to get into this business wants to talk and I'm happy to, I'm happy to have those conversations, but like, I can't be like, this is the roadmap. Like (laughs) I just fell asleep in the car and I found myself working in sports media and I don't really know what happened on the way. One last thing. I I feel like we cannot um, leave this discussion without you telling the story of how it is that you became the Outback Blooming Onion. This is easy. I was watching the, what would this have been? I think it was the 2017 Outback Bowl that Florida was playing in. Been to the Outback Bowl a couple times. I'm from Tampa originally. Uh, I've certainly watched the Outback Bowl several times. And for whatever reason, I was really drawn to the two costume mascots in the game, the Bloomin' Onion and the Coconut Shrimp. (laughs) I'd forgotten about the Uh, shrimp. Yeah, so so the coconut shrimp, and and the way this works for people who don't remember, rest in peace, Outback Bowl. The these two mascots, the blue onion usually has a man inside of it. The coconut shrimp has a woman inside of it. Um, they represent the two different schools in the game. The coconut shrimp is is associated with the Big Ten school. 
kind of baffling because these are not places where you think like, ah, I want to order shrimp. Um, By the way, do you think there's I, like a there was like a 20 page guidebook that like listed all these rules? The, sh- the a woman, the shrimp must be a woman. And, yes, yeah. there's there's definitely like Robert's rules of order for the Outback Ball somewhere. Uh, the Bloomin' Onion represents the SEC school. And I was just sort of, because I have a dumb brain, I was just sort of like, well, that's probably a thing I can do. I bet if I like find the right person to talk to, they will let me be the Bloomin' Onion in the Outback Bowl. And so I decided to just bother them repeatedly for the better part of a year until they eventually were like, okay, you're not going to leave us alone about this. And you keep talking about it on your podcast and people keep tweeting at us about it. So like, Let's figure something out. And so they eventually said, and I told them, like, I'm coming home for the holidays to see my parents. I'm going to be there anyway. Literally, I, I like, you don't have to do anything. You just have to let me put on the onion. They relented after a little, like, how many retweets can we get campaign, which we blew by easily. They way underestimated how that was going to go. Uh, and then I showed up a couple days before the game got my red unitard and I think my black chucks that you had to wear with it, met with the guy who was doing, who was going to be the mascot for the rest of the game. I only did it for one quarter, though it was a very good quarter for South Carolina, ended up winning them the game. No big deal. Uh, (laughs) I just went out there and my sister got to come with me as sort of like um, my handler or whatever. And so like, she got to take photos of me doing this and we just got to like have fun for a quarter. And I'm glad I only did it for a quarter because it's heavy. It's a heavy suit. It it all sits on your shoulders and it's hard to move in for sure. I, I keep imagining like somebody, uh, like the onion fitting, you know, like the, you put it on somebody <laughs> goes, oh, we're going to need to let this out. Go, somebody go make, somebody go make a few more uh, blooms here. Petals. A few more petals yes, for this. Yes. Yeah. hesitates to take any lessons from the success of the shutdown forecast. It's sort of like the famous mantra they supposedly said on the set of Seinfeld, no hugging, no learning. But I do think there's something to learn from this strange and magical thing Ryan Nanny and his friends have put together. What I take from it is this, there's no substitute for being yourself. If they'd pitched a show like the shutdown forecast from scratch, I don't think anybody would have bought it. But they just started making the thing, talking about whatever they wanted to talk about, indulging their own obsessions. And along the way, they created something that other people care about and want to listen to. It helps that all of them are smart and lightning quick with excellent comedic chops. But they could have applied all those skills to other things in less interesting ways. Instead, they found their own authentic voice. And despite everything, it works. That's not a path to success for everybody, of course. But man, 
it sure feels like that's where you should start. Southbound is a production of WFAE in Charlotte. Our main theme music comes from Josh Turner. You can listen to this and other episodes of Southbound on the NPR One app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe for free to get each new episode sent to you when it's ready. You can also find Southbound on WFAE.org, where every episode has show notes with more information on that week's guest. See you all next time. Thanks for listening.